Well, hello and welcome again to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Mark Danis, and I have in the studio with me today my co-host, as always, Francis Harry. Francis, how are you today? I'm doing very well, feeling very blessed. So glad to be here with you, Mark. Francis and I are very excited because as we um, um, air this program, we're actually uh, preparing for our annual Carmelite retreat, a two-day retreat, which will be led by our guest in the studio today, Father Daniel Towning. Father Daniel, how are you today? Just fine, Mark. Doing very well, thank you. Great to see you again. We entertained Father Daniel last year on both the uh, radio program as well as uh, the, uh, the speaker and leader for our retreat. It was a great retreat. We had uh, great feedback, Father, as uh, I'm sure you heard, and we were excited to hear that you'd be coming back to join us this evening, uh, uh, this weekend. Um, I, I am interested, though, uh, before we uh, begin, we'll get into our uh, prayer, but I'm interested for our audience especially to hear a little bit about your travels lately. So we're going to begin with that, but I'm going to ask you first if you wouldn't mind leading us in prayer. Sure, I'd be glad to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Most loving Father, we come together once more to talk about those things which are important in our lives, your love for us and prayer. We ask you to give us the spirit of prayer, and in a special way, the spirit of silence, so that we can listen to your voice deeper than our hearts and in the heart of our reality and in, of our, and in our brothers and sisters. Give us the grace to prove our love for you by loving one another. And as we prepare for this great feast of the Holy Trinity this coming Sunday, we ask you to give us the grace of a deeper awareness of your presence within us and our divine vocation to union with you through love. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Father. I, um, as I say, I, I'm very interested. I know our listening audience would be uh, to get to know you a little bit more uh, first as we begin the conversation. And it's rare for us to be able to say, Francis, that we have an international speaker with us, but in fact we do. We absolutely uh, do. <laughs> Father uh, uh, is too humble to admit it, but he leads retreats all over the world. And so I'm interested, Father, just maybe give us a snippet. What have you been doing for the last many months? Well, recently I just finished giving a two-day course to formation directors of our Carmelite nuns and friars uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, every year the a group of Carmelite cloister Carmelite sisters and some of our friars, they gather to for a special seminar on f- formation, on their honing their skills and being novice mistresses and novice masters. And so I, was, I just came back from giving a two-day to do a two-day course to them. And I know the last time you and I had a phone conversation, I think you were either on your way to or on your way back from, uh, uh, was it Spain or Ireland that you gave a retreat? I was in Ireland. In Ireland. Yes, for a month. And, and ha- what was that like? Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Rained. Rained yeah. a lot. Rained practically the whole month. Yeah. But uh, I gave retreats to our Carmelite nuns in Ireland, a seminar to the Carmelite nuns in Ireland and and then a couple of retreats to, to two individual Carmels. Yeah. And uh, lastly here, this is just to fill out your biographical sketch. I, I think you also told me 
uh, the last time we spoke, you were either preparing for or just doing the outline to begin a book. Have you had to begin that book yet? Or? Well, I have begun the book, but it's on the back burner. Okay. <laughs> Probably because of our retreat. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm doing too many things. So I'm going to have to pull back so but that I can finish my, my writing commitment. Yeah. Let's ask all of our listeners out there to please join your prayers with Mark's and my own to um, help Father Channing complete those books because we want to read them, Father. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, theme that we uh, discussed for uh, this particular conversation, Father, was um, this idea around uh, finding silence and solitude. These are virtues, really, that we're called to in Carmel. Whether we are uh, religious or, in our case, secular, uh, we are called to practice these virtues, these disciplines on, on one level, I think. And we find them, I think it would be fair to say, many of our listeners no doubt would agree, uh, some of the more difficult aspects of leading the contemplative life in the world. Uh, to find that silence and to find solitude, and we'll talk even a little bit about simplicity. Uh, but these are such important elements of the contemplative life and of our ability to enter into that relationship of intimacy with our Lord. And so, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts uh, on these topics, and I want to just begin with that very simple question. Um, silence in the modern world, you were saying as you were, uh, we were chatting just before coming on the air about flying in today and the uh, proliferation of uh, communication devices that you saw uh, of the passengers on the airplane with our various iPods and iPads and Kindles and so forth, overwhelming us with information. How do we begin to find silence in this modern world uh, with the onslaught of so much uh, at our disposal to disrupt us and take us out of that silence? Well, Mark and Francis, that's a, that's a very good question because, and it's a very challenging one because we live in a world where more and more, I think, people are becoming more alienated from, them, from their deeper selves. And they may not be communicating so much verbally for instance, on the airplane, everyone has their 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 Nook or their their Kindle or their iPods earplugs. earplugs. <laughs> and so there is a certain shutting out of the silence around them or communication, but it's not necessarily an encounter with themselves. And I think this is where the challenge lies with silence. First of all, we have to ask ourselves, what do we mean by silence? There, I mean, there is the external silence where we shut our window against the, um, an ambulance, else, mm-hmm. you know, the noise of an ambulance or, or the police car or, or the noise of neighbors, that type of silence, which is an external silence. But there's also an internal silence, which is much more challenging, uh, which is really a gift, a gift. And so more and more in our world, there... There's so much noise. We have the TV, we have the internet, we have the radio, um, we have our iPods, we have our iPads. Um, we have all of the all of this these instruments this uh, of communication, actually of different types of communication, but they drown out silence, the external silence. But the challenge, I think, is for the internal silence, because silence isn't so much an absence of words or noise but it's an inner attitude, uh, an attitude of deep listening to our own hearts and to the presence of God 
And a lot of people, I think, are very uncomfortable with any silence on their own. Um, in fact, they're, they're the first one to turn on the radio in the car or the TV when they're home alone, and they just they, they want to fill the airwaves. Mm-hmm. So um, I know as Carmelites, as secular Carmelites, um, we, we long for God and we want to have that conversation with Him, so science is a big part of it. But how do we bring others into uh, wel- welcoming this silence instead of drowning the silence out? Well, I think, first of all, making space for silence in our daily life, even if it's just for a few moments. Like with the secular Carmelite rule, uh, the, the rule asks that uh, members uh, spend a half an hour every day in, in quiet prayer. And that's, that's a period of silence. And I think, too, it depends upon one's circumstances of life. I mean, if, you have a, if you're a father or a mother with five or six children, it's not going to be that easy to drown out noise. And so one has to find, I think, spaces in one's life to be still, to be present uh, to the moment, to take time just to, to be. Now that's, that, as I said, that's a challenge. It depends upon every person's circumstances of life. A single person is able to, to achieve that better than someone who's married. But no matter what our vocation of life, silence is a very important uh, attitude, a quality uh, of, of, of life. And if we don't practice some type of silence, you know, well, then we're, we're not going to be able to, to encounter ourselves at a deeper level. So another thing is, I mean, you go to a restaurant, for instance, this is an example. You know, people bring their cell phones. You know, I, mean, I have my cell phone on today, <laughs> talking to restaurants, so I better be careful what I say here. <laughs> I had a phone call, and I had to take it. It's from Italy, though. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I had to be honest with this. But anyway, it is something that has to be careful. We have to be careful. I mean, people go to restaurants, and right away in a conversation, the cell phone goes off in, in a restaurant, and they answer it, or, in the, or in, in the stores, and in the grocery stores. And so we're, we're constantly bombarded with, it, with a communication. I think one thing that's a challenge, as I see it, is we live in a society that needs instant communication through cell phone, email. I mean, email can overtake our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, the internet, and so we have to find. I think, in order to cultivate, and this is what I want to stress: <clears throat> silence is not just the absence of noise in words, but it is an attitude of heart. It's that interior science you started to talk about a moment ago, and you said something I really want to pick up on. Um, But I don't want to miss this thematic uh, idea of silence that we had begun with. And quite frankly, Francis, you and I have talked about this many times. It's really the centerpiece of our program. How do we live as contemplatives in the modern world is really the basis of all that we talk about in our weekly conversations. And, And I think this is such a critical part of it. Silence is not simply the absence of noise, though it is necessary in preparation to enter into the interior silence that we're hoping to achieve. But you said something just at the end of your earlier comments that I I picked up on, and that is that the silence and the acquiring of silence is less about the negation of noise and more about the active listening in the interior. Say something more about that, because I think that's a a critical piece. We tend to think of silence as, as you said, absence, dismiss, 
dispense with, move away from. But it's not. It's also a moving towards something, isn't it? It is. Silence is both an art and a gift. Okay. It is an art in the sense that it requires a certain discipline. And I think this is the discipline can be is for instance taking time to be quiet every day for a few moments turning off the TV not answering an email taking space for one's daily life if we learn that art which which requires a discipline and a patience actually um, and everybody has everyone has to exercise a certain discipline according to their own circumstances I want to stress that if we can do that then that prepares the ground for that deeper listening. I think silence, I've often thought of this, I lived in the desert community in Hinton, West Virginia for two years, and I thought a lot about silence during that time. I think silence is about presence. Mm -hmm. It is presence to what is. Uh, Silence is is around us. It's not like some blanket that you put on us, like, like put on ourselves, like we go to chapel and now I'm going to be silenced, like I put on this blanket mm-hmm. over me. No, I don't think that's the proper approach to silence. Right, because our mind can still be going on exactly, 100 miles an exactly. hour and think about grocery lists and got to do this, that, and the other. <laughs> exactly, and this brings us to the inner silence mm-hmm. because we can close the door of our bedroom, we can go into the chapel, uh, we can go someplace quiet and be still, but inside is a lot of noise. As Teresa said, isn't that the, the, she gave this counsel, that's what unleashes the horses. Right. You know, right. she says uh, the mind becomes this, this uh, band of horses that runs wild. So, yeah, you say we enter into that silence, we close three levels of doors to get in total silence in the exterior, and all of a sudden the interior mental horses get released and the noise level actually picks up. It does. It does. Um, but it, some it, it's just the emotions, too. You know, the, it could be you're really angry or you were really stressed about something, and so that is the noise of your mind and your heart. But, uh, you know, when you were talking about all these instant communications, I was thinking, you know, wouldn't that be great if we could just flip-flop that and make it the instant communication with God <laughs> every time we picked up that cell phone, got on that computer, you know, where, where it's our direct link. And, you know, just use that as our prompt to, to, you know, look to God and listen. I mean, Elizabeth the Trinity mm-hmm. talks about the emotions, you know, the emotions of, of, of fear and joy, fear, you know, all the types of emotions that, that, that surface when we become silent, you know. It can be, it can be fear, it can be joy, it can be sorrow, it can be grief. Anger. Ang- anger, anger, bitterness, resentment. Uh, worry, anxiety over the future, uh, or regret over the past. And so when we close the door um, to the external noise, well, then we have to attend to the inner, inner noise. And I think in order to reach an interior silence, one has to be present to the inner noise and to listen to it non-judgmentally. Simply listen to all the noise that bubbles, bubbles up in a non-judgmental, uh, alert, attentive way, 
And the more we can listen to that without entertaining it, you know, that means that, like, I, all of a sudden I sit down, I'm quiet, and I just remember what someone said to me yesterday, and I become angry. It doesn't mean that I enter into some inner dialogue with this person the next time I meet them, but just simply listen to the emotion, the anger, or with its fear, whatever it is. Now, give us an example here. Mm-hmm. So, say you've got this uh, anger with a, a neighbor or whatever. <clears throat> Oh, and it's coming to your mind. Now, what are you doing with it? Let's do hands well, on Well, I reckon, first of all, I sit down, I'm in quiet, then all of a sudden I remember my neighbor, okay? And I, when the thought, first there's the thought, then after the thought comes the emotion, with the emotion is anger. And so I just recognize the fact that I feel angry. And I be with that anger, feel that anger, but without entertaining it, without letting it, identifying with the anger to the point where I let the anger take me into an inner dialogue and revisit the whole scenario that caused me to be angry. It's just simply being comfortable enough, even though it's not easy to sit with with difficult emotions, as we all know, uh, but to be present to that to that feeling and just say, I'm angry. Sort of like an ob- from an observation and standpoint. I, yes. Just to observe it, very, very non-judgmentally, without analyzing it, just trying to be present to it, and let it be there. And then what? Well, just be present to it, and then I think if you, it, it, it begins to dissipate. Okay. I'm always reminded of the <clears throat> the phrase "Be still and know that I am God," mm-hmm. and and I think to Francis's question, to do the reverse. I'm not sure that it's as important to know what I do with the anger if I'm be still and know that I'm God, as it mm-hmm. is to avoid doing the reverse in this case, which would be, as you say, entertain the anger. Start replaying the scenario about how many times he or she mowed your lawn you know, inadvertently or parked their car in the wrong place or whatever. It's that that we're trying to say. You know, We have the anger. We own the anger. Sure. We are uh, um, fallen creatures because we still have these experiences uh, of, of uh, you know, anger or jealousy or greed or what have you, and their reality. We can't try to deny the reality of our being, but that's not to say we simply accept them. We can sit before God, and if in true silence we give that over and say, yes, I'm a fallen creature, Lord, I'd like you to help me deal with this anger mm-hmm. as opposed to avoiding it, or worse yet, what so many of us try to do is say, I can deal with this anger. I know I can handle this on my own. Until we're brought to that space where God says, you will never deal with this on your own. Until you sit in silence before me and let me heal you. Let me work with you. And you have to still that noise that kept you from even hearing the reality of the fact that you have anger or you have whatever other deficiency. I mean, this is our our natural state, unfortunately. It's our um, our condition um, but unless we take the time to sit before God and by the way let him reveal that to us right mm-hmm. I mean right. so oftentimes we we ignore it either by turning on the radio so I don't hear the noise or if we seek that silence we may run the laundry list as you said or the grocery list sorry um, but if we can turn that off as well then our true nature is going to come out and God's going to say it's okay I'm here I'm going to help you work your way out of that situation um, because you need to have that, you know, taken away. So you we won't wanna, be able to do it. We want to come to this peace so that we can hear from God, you know, how to um, deal with this. 
or, you know, uh, how can I live peace the next time I see my neighbor <laughs> who I'm angry at, or how I can resolve that. Um, but very, very important for this day and age that's so stressed out. Well, St. John of the Cross has a marvelous spiritual practice called the Anagogical Act, uh, where he, he teaches us how to practice virtue. And, you know, anagogical means to lift up. And so he gives, he gives example. He even gives examples of bitterness or anger. He said, uh, you know, when we, if, if we confront something within ourselves like anger or bitterness, we, have two, we can react in different ways. One way, and John of the Cross addresses this, is we can try to practice the opposite virtue, okay, which is patience or humility or whatever it is. But that doesn't always work, see, you know, because <laughs> you can't control our emotions. I mean, I think we need to aware, be aware of that. You can't, you, can, you can't control it in the sense you can't control what surfaces, okay. What we can control with God's grace is how we react and what we do with the emotion that right. arises. But you can't control the fact that something arises. Well, then St. John of the Cross says that, that, that to deal with something directly is not always the best way. But what you were saying, Mark, is what St. John of the Cross says. He said, you, you lift it up. You're aware of what you're feeling, mm-hmm. and you lift it up. As a matter of fact, this is very much the, the teaching of St. Therese. St. Therese practiced the anagogical act in a very, uh, very well, I mean, a very heroic degree. I mean, it was very much a part of her the little way, is whatever comes up, you give it to God. Mm-hmm. And so you accept it. You have to accept it, what you're feeling, in truth. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and that's humility. That's you humility, right. the fact... I'm angry, I'm fearful, I'm sad, I'm grieving, whatever that is. I'm joyful, too. That's not all bad, uh, bad emotions. Right. You know, I, mean, I mean, I would say unskillful emotions, let me put it that way, because I don't think any emotion is really bad, except what we do with it. Unskillful emotions. But, you know, you, you, first you see what it is you're experiencing, you accept it, and then you offer it. This point you bring up about uh, there's no bad emotion is very important. We're human beings. We do have these emotions. To try to deny them, we will not be healed of them, the, the less productive ones. Um, I think what Francis said earlier about being afraid to enter into that silence is one of the reasons people really struggle with prayer, especially uh, as they sort of get past vocal prayer and they begin to enter some uh, degree of meditation and silence. We tend to resist it because it does reveal our inner workings, if you will. But those inner workings, as you said, are acceptable. Go ahead, accept it, deal with it in humility. Accept that you have anger, you have lust, you have you know, anxiety. But give it up to God because there's a root cause for that that we may not even be aware of. We're trying to deal with the, you know, the, the outcome, if you will, the manifestation of it, which may be all the way up to and including sin, we try to deal with that without going to the root cause. And God says, in silence, know that I'm God. I will deal with the root cause. We may not even know. I mean, this is part of the element of the dark night, isn't it? That John says, we're put in this darkness because there's a healing going on underneath that we're not even aware of. Well, and the dark night experience is very much an experience of one's, of one's poverty. And so when someone enters into the dark night experience, you know, the dark night of the senses, one enters into a deeper level of self-awareness that is what often has been unconscious. And that self-awareness is rooted in one's humanity. So anything within one that's wounded 
or emotions, anger, rage, lust, uh, fear, grief, jealousy, envy, all of that is going to surface when God begins to, in, when the inflow of God uh, gets things shaken up. Yeah. You know, God shakes up the ground of our humanity. And we have to remember that God works in our humanity. We're, as St. Teresa said, we're, we're, we're not angels, we have a body. You know, we ha- we're human beings with a whole world inside of us. Yeah. A whole world. And so, oftentimes in quiet prayer, it's, it's I mean, it's not, I'm not it, it's normal and quiet prayer when one enters into deeper levels of quiet prayer, that one begins to experience this whole world within us, this disordered world of emotions and feelings and thoughts and desires and appetites that begin to surface, that normally in our daily life, we push down. Right, and we become unaware of. And some people are afraid to be quiet, because they're afraid of what will surface. Yeah, I, I've got to uh, take a break. As painful as that is for us, Francis, <laughs> it's such a treat to have Father Daniel here. Uh, when we come back, though, I want to move on from this silence and this uh, depth of prayer that we've talked about, and also talk about solitary solitude and how does that enter into this prayer life. Sure. This is again Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Please join us after this short break. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. Again, uh, in our studio, we have uh, the great treat of having Father Daniel Chowning with us, a, um, an international speaker in leading Carmelite retreats all over the world. Uh, and he happens to be here in, um, in the Dayton area, actually, uh, leading a retreat for the local secular Carmelite uh, community uh, this weekend. We're thrilled to have him. And we've been talking about the issues of silence in our very busy and noisy, oftentimes, modern world. And we also now want to touch on uh, the area of solitude, Father, uh, and the importance of solitude. But, of course, as we've discussed, uh, becoming a solitary or practicing solitude has a couple of meanings for us in Carmel. There's the actual natural uh, disposition of becoming a solitary, moving away from and entering into an aloneness uh, on a very individual level. But there's also that spiritual. Let's talk about both elements of this if we can. What do we mean by solitary and how do we begin to move in that direction in, in um, for those of us who, again, have a very busy, in many cases, modern lives uh, that are um, that are uh, called upon to fulfill many responsibilities, solitude is still necessary. Yes, yes, solitude is. And I think the first aspect of solitude would be a physical solitude, having some space to be alone. I mean, St. Teresa defines prayer as as an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with the one who we know loves us. So whenever we have an intimate relationship with someone, we know that with friendships or the intimacy of marriage or good friendship, that in order to grow in in that friendship and that love, one has to be alone. One takes time to be alone. And the same thing with God. To be alone with, 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 with God, to take the, uh, our relationship with God, to make it a priority in our life, and finding some space, carving out some time in our day, our week, 
to be alone with God. And also retreats. Retreats are a, a, a very good uh, they offer a great opportunity to have an experience of, of solitude. But also I think that in everyone's life, they need to carve out some space for solitude, whether that's in your bedroom or out in your garden, or maybe the, the solitude that many people who are very busy find is in their car, driving to and from work, you know, um, alone in church, you know, staying after Mass for a few moments. Uh, or going into an open church and spending an hour of adoration. But some type of solitude is necessary. You know, I can hear now so many of our listeners are saying, oh, but Father, if you knew my life and you knew how busy I am and you knew, you know, the responsibilities I have, and of course we could all make that defense. But I'm going to fall back to something our our Mother Teresa would say to us in this regard, and that is, uh, as she says with regard to prayer, if there's something you have, uh, need of in your prayer life, ask God and he'll give it to you. So I would encourage our listeners, if you're one of those who would say, as I would say oftentimes, I simply don't have the time, I don't have the space, I can't find uh, a quiet room in my house with children running about and grandchildren running about, um, you know, what do I do? And I think Teresa would say to us, ask for it. Mm-hmm. Ask the Father for it, because he wants to give you that time. He wants intimacy with us. He wants aloneness with us. He will make that time for us mm-hmm. if we genuinely are seeking it. And my argument is that if it's important, then you need to make it a priority. And so you, anything that's important to you, you prioritize. So, you know, uh, if God is important to you, then of course you're going to make time for him. And if you're that busy, then you need more prayer for sure. <laughs> At times when I'm the busiest is when I, I think, ah, oh, the reason why I'm so busy is because I haven't taken time to pray. Because things fall into place a little bit easier. And I have more peace and I can make um, more sound judgments when I'm at peace. And when I'm in conversation with the Lord or when I'm listening uh, to the Lord, I, I can be a better person, so I'm not so stressed, and so I'm not wound up so tight, so things get accomplished better. What do you think about that? No, I, I, th- I think you're, you're, you're correct. I mean, it's a very good insight. I have talked to people who were very busy, who were married people with a family. I remember one woman used to come to me for spiritual direction, and and they, she had children, and she, her husband had his own business, and they were very busy people. And she said, we get up early in the morning, about an hour earlier, and we spend time in prayer. Now, that worked for her. I don't like to put, say that everybody has to do the same thing, make, it, make a, a rule for everyone, I, I don't, a guideline for everyone, I, because everyone knows their own life. But I think that a certain discipline is necessary. I mean, we spend a lot of time watching TV, don't we? Right, or sports. And we can, <laughs> and we can spend, we can get on the Internet, and answer email till till ten o'clock at night. Or Facebook for or all Facebook, you Facebook fans. Facebook, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hope you're, Facebook. Hopefully, you're a fan of Carmelite conversations. I mean, there are ways in which I think we can find some space in our daily life. Yeah, you know, I have, uh, and I will confess before I even share this that I haven't been very successful at it. But I, I'm one of those people who has 
uh, uh, propensity the minute I walk in my house to be connected to my my uh, home computer. It's also connected to my office computer, so I'm going in and checking uh, both my business mail and all the mail that I've gotten from Francis in the last three hours. <laughs> a lot, a lot. <laughs> but, but I've made a deal with myself that when I walk into the house, if I feel the need to walk into my office to work at my computer, first I'll go walk into a little room we call our chapel, but it's just a quiet space at the end of the house. Uh, and I'll spend a few minutes in there, and then I'll relieve myself and of that responsibility, and I'll say, okay, now I can go look at the box. Well, oftentimes I've discovered I don't need to look at the box after that. So uh, I think that's a good thing. And we have to find little tricks like that, don't we? We do. It's perfectly appropriate, I think, to design for ourselves these little uh, uh, motivations or, as I say, tricks that get us into conversation with God and get us out of our attachment to worldly things that if we really challenged ourselves we'd probably come to discover I don't really need to spend two hours a day in front of a television or I don't really need to be in my my computer, I say the box, um, for some three, four, or five hours a day, whatever it happens to be for an individual. Um, and whatever else it is that may draw us away. These in and of themselves are not bad things, right? We want to stress yeah. that. They're not necessarily uh, unproductive things. Some of them are very necessary. But they at least have to be combined with conversation, with silence, and in a state of solitude that allows us to hear what the Lord says about those things and how they fit in the larger context. And I want to transition from this to something you actually raised earlier, uh, but it fits in this conversation as well. Um, we talk about solitary in the natural, and that's finding that aloneness, that singleness, us alone with God. But also Elizabeth talks about, and it's a very profound uh, piece, if I understand it correctly. And this would be Blessed Elizabeth of the Blessed Trinity. Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, correct, thank you. Uh, where she says um, that unless I bring joy and fear and hope and sorrow into a unified singleness in my relationship with God, I will never be a solitary. What does she mean by that? What is she giving us in that very profound statement? It is, it is. She, if I remember correctly, she talks about um, this, uh, she draws upon St. John of the Cross on this, this fortress within her, uh, the, 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 this fortress, this uh, strong fortress within herself. And I think she's talking about a heart, a solitary heart. Mm-hmm which is a heart that, that pleases God alone, that lives for God alone, and bringing all that she is into that relationship, that inner unity. She's talking about an interior unity, right, right. you know, an inner unity of being, which is a grace, number one. It's a mm-hmm. grace. But it's also learning, I think, again, what we said before, learning to listen to the cacophony, of all that noise, because you know Elizabeth was a musician. Mm-hmm. She knew that the the harmony and the chords of music had to be had all the chords had to be in harmony, and so she wanted her inner being to be in harmony. So only way to arrive at a harmony is to be present to what is within, uh, in the way we we spoke earlier, to listen to that noise, and then to bring all of that to God, uh, no matter what that is, our joy, our fear, give it all to God. And the more we do that, I think, the more that our heart becomes solitary. Because in the Carmelite tradition, solitude is much more interior than exterior. 
if you look at all, if you read all the writings of St. Teresa and St. John the Cross, you know, a sol- the solitude is an interior reality, mm-hmm. most of all, because it's a heart that longs for God alone and, and, and pleases God alone. A heart that's all for God is a solitary heart. St. John the Cross, at least that's how St. John the Cross understands it. And I think of Blessed Elizabeth the Trinity, who was a great daughter of St. John the Cross, you know, she understood that because she... She read those that the spiritual canticle where Saint John the Cross talks about that inner fortress, and I think that's what she and and we shouldn't find ourselves disturbed by it, but we should acknowledge it. Then when we lose our interior equanimity is a good word here, mm-hmm. that equilibrium, that balance, that stability, that resolution, uh, that that no matter what may be happening in the external world, that which my senses can perceive and my emotions respond to, and so forth, no matter what happens there. As long as I retain that interior equanimity, then it's likely that those four emotions and a multitude of emotions, in fact, are really centered in unity in relationship with God. And as we inevitably get pulled out of that equanimity, out of that center of balance, we'll know it automatically, right? We'll have a spike of our emotion. But to continually draw ourselves back to that center Mm -hmm. becomes the exercise. And and I think Elizabeth of the Trinity was a great one at teaching that. And ironically, Francis, you and I had this conversation last week where uh, I shared with you, you know, it seems to me that with an intensity, an increase, if you will, an an increasing of the tempo of the uh, cacophony or the anxiety or the external pressures, we get drawn even more into that state of equanimity. Elizabeth talks about this as well. She said, as the, you know, my my own words, as as the storm sort of brewed around her, she actually got more grounded in the Lord, whereas unless that pressure was applied, she could find herself perhaps drifting from that center more easily. I think, too, I think very much a part of this is being present to the present moment. Yeah. Very much a part of solitude and silence is the more that we can be a present to this moment, what we're doing at this moment, to this person we're speaking to mm-hmm. with, to this, whether we're washing the dishes or we're, we're, we're writing a letter or we're talking to someone, you know, being really present, out of that presence comes silence, mm-hmm. is born. And I think Blessed Elizabeth, who was so present to the presence, with a mm-hmm. capital P, you know, to whatever was in the moment. I think that's very much, I think that is the, the ground out of which the interior silence, her interior silence was born. It's interesting that we're bringing this up because I'm thinking of Pope Benedict right now and, you know, some of the stuff that's swirling around the Vatican and, and how yet uh, it's been picked up that they see Pope Benedict Sixteenth as being very much at peace, very calm. That's the word they used, calm. And so I'm thinking, you know, uh, he has, you know, gone within, and, you know, God is his rock, and, you know, he's, he's right there. And, the, and then, the, you know, this hurricane of, of, of noise is going on all around him. So what a great example he is right now in this day and age for all of us. I mean, I, I, I've never met him personally, Pope Benedict, but I've been... In near him at the Vatican, and what he he's, and when I've seen him on television, he strikes me as a very centered person. Mm-hmm. He's coming from a well. He's very grounded in who he is in his in his center, mm-hmm. you know, with where where the Lord lives, 
And it's because of that that he can maintain such peace, peace in the midst of such tur- turbulence. And, uh, and I think that the, the challenge for us is to, and this is very much, again, Blessed Elizabeth of Trinity, with well, all the Carmelite saints, is, is being centered, learning to be centered. When our center is in God, we're really grounded in living for God alone, where God is the, prime, has, is the priority in my life, uh, and I express that priority by my, my prayer, my life of virtue, by trying to live as lovingly as I can, by being present to the, to the moment, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Because God is now. Remember, God is the eternal now. God is not in the future, in the past. God is now. And it's only now, in this moment, that we are going to encounter God. In this moment, in this trial, in this joy, in this difficulty. And just to try to be present to that in, as, you know, in, in a loving way as possible, with confidence and faith, well, I think if we can do that, and the more we can do that, then the more we can we, we can experience that peace. And our Blessed Mother would be a perfect example of that, who pondered all these things in her heart. She would. She, she was. She's a great model for it. A great model, who who pondered all those things in her heart, who kept herself centered in faith and love in her son. And who knows what she was feeling and going through at many times in her life. And, you know, she didn't have things laid out on the table clear for her. She also had to step out in faith, offer that fiat. She had trials. She had triumphs. And and yet, you know, that that groundedness uh, comes through all. You know, you said a moment ago the... the, um, the present moment, living in the present moment, of course, Kassad's book, The Sacrament of the Present Moment, a wonderful text if our um, um, audience are not familiar with it. Uh, It's a very brief text, but really what's richer than the text itself, if you buy the larger version, are the letters that go beyond that. Those are terrific. But he talks about this idea of living in the present moment. And what you said earlier about practicing in every day, whether we're washing the dishes or we're in a conversation with our child or we're engaged in some task at work, living in that present moment, in addition to uh, being obedient to our call and to our vocation, gives us the opportunity to practice what you spoke about before of being present to the Lord when we enter into that silence. And the reason I bring this up is so often we find ourselves in conversations, let's be fair, where the person may be, you know, looking directly at us and are responding by looking directly back, but our mind's in a million different places, mm-hmm. or it's running a, a calculation on some completely disassociated uh, you know, calculation. And uh, the same is true for our prayer life. We can go through our, in our case, the Carmelites, uh, go through the office, for example, and we can read the Psalms and we can read the readings, but we might yet be totally um, uh, disassociated with that Entering into that word and entering into that uh, that experience that the, that the Lord is trying to give us. And that's a discipline. You said it before. It's a discipline. It shouldn't be expected that we, if we're beginning a prayer life, are going to enter in automatically. Or for that matter, as we've spent time in silence, and then the Lord begins to reveal some of the deeper woundedness of our soul, and we become destabilized by that, we should appreciate that we're going to feel some of that darkness. But we still have to remain present to that moment. And everything in our life 
Therese would have said this, this importance of simplicity and the simplicity, uh, the importance of doing the simple things gives us an opportunity to increase the discipline, to practice the discipline of living in that present moment. Okay, I but think I, that's critical. And I think, too, a very, uh, in the Carmelite tradition, what's very important to prepare us for prayer is, you know, this takes a discipline as well, is practicing the presence of God throughout the day mm-hmm. and remembering throughout the day. Now, this takes a real discipline, kind of a commitment, a real personal commitment, that throughout the day, that from time to time, I stop for just maybe a few seconds and I remember that God is within me. Or I pray for someone, or I thank God for the beautiful day, or, or I ask him for his help, and his, uh, or I, I tell him I love him, and I over and out, over and over throughout the day, or I trust him. That there's little acts of reminding ourselves that we're never alone, that we live in God and God lives in us. And I think the more that someone can practice that in their daily life, now this is very much deep in the Carmelite tradition, the more you can practice this, when we go to prayer, we're much more present. Because prayer is not just a slice on life. It's a way of being. I mean, that's very characteristic of Teresian prayer. Prayer is not doing, it's being. And so learning to be present and, and, and to, to recall God's love and presence in my life throughout the day, you know, then it prepares me for when I do go to prayer, that my prayer will be much more centered. And how much more difficult is it to enter into that prayer if, in fact, we have spent the day totally distracted, mm-hmm. right? Where we haven't, perhaps for hours at a time, even thought about the Lord. Now, us Carmelites know... <laughs> we pray the prayer that Teresa taught us, redeem our lost time, Lord. Yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> but, but we use a lot of tricks. Again, I'll use that word, and it's not in a derogatory way. Um, you know, I carry a picture of Elizabeth in, w- with me in my pocket all the time. We wear our scapulas, Francis, right? Uh, and I'm talking to the seculars now. I mean, I think the religious have some advantages in this regard. And we invite everyone to wear a brown scapular, by the way. Absolutely. Um, but, but we do these things. We might carry a, a coin with us, you know, or, or uh, we might keep a picture in an automobile if we happen to be one of those people. That, and I'm hoping that people are writing some of these down if these may not be tricks of your own. But find ways to make the Lord present to you uh, in a practical way. Teresa would talk about carrying an image of the Lord around with her uh, to help remind her where she was centered. These are very practical things that we can do that allow us to remain recollected. And I ha- want to have you speak about that, Father. But, but allow us to uh, stay, as Brother Lawrence would stay, say to us, in the presence of the Lord so that when we may more formally enter prayer, albeit it's a state of being, not an activity, but when we more formally enter into that moment, um, we won't find that we have to take so long to enter silence because we've practiced it throughout the course of the day. That's and right. it facilitates that entry. So he's got to talk about recollection real quick because we're running out of time. What, what do you have to say with us about recollection? I'll say just quickly, this is... Uh, um, really the theme for the weekend, for the retreat of, uh, that we'll be participating in. And we'd love to hear, and I know our audience, because they won't be able to participate, would love to hear at least some of your thoughts on the practice of recollection. Well, I'm going to focus on the retreat on, on St. Teresa's way of prayer and looking at her own life and kind of tracing her own experience of prayer and then move into her prayer of recollection, which is her method of prayer 
that she learned as a young nun when she was 23 years old, and she developed throughout the years. And it's both, um, I would say, a method of prayer as a, as a way of living. As a method of prayer, it is a simple method of being present to Christ within us. And she talks about, I'm not asking you to think about him or draw out lots of concepts, but to look at him who's looking, looking at you. In other words, between ourselves dwelling within us as a, a, as a method of prayer, as a, as a way of praying, formal prayer. But recollection is also much broader because she says in the same text in chapter 26, The Way of Perfection, if you go about pleasing him, You'll never get away from him. What more do you want with with such a good friend at your side? Which indicates that this prayer recollection isn't only something we do in chapel or the quiet of our bedroom, but it's learning to be in the presence of Christ in everything we do, to walk alongside this great master and this this friend who never abandons us like people in the world do. (laughs) Well put. So we're coming up to the end of our hour, aren't we? Well, we are, and I want to thank uh, Father Daniel, of course, for uh, joining us. We'll have the benefit of uh, his conversation for an entire weekend, and we're certainly looking forward to that. It'll be a great blessing for us. Um, I I asked you by uh, way of beginning, Father, what your uh, recent travels were. I'd like to know where are you headed after this? What's next on your calendar? Well, I'm just going to be at at, at, at this summer at, at Holy Hill where I'm stationed, and I'll be present there at the shrine doing ministry. Well, uh, now I know that you'll be getting a lot more visitors. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone, a uh, wonderful shrine, Holy Hill. In, um, you have Wisconsin. to come and visit. Yes, yes, we do, actually. We had planned that last year, and we never, uh, we never did it. And I need to get up there myself. I look forward to it. Father, I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind, just before I give a, a final program note, uh, to close us in prayer. Uh, But I do want to remind our listeners, you're listening again to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Francis and I will be picking up on the series that we had begun and we'll be uh, finishing, I think, with the next program, Francis, on the Holy Face. It'll be the fourth one. Right, fourth and final one on on the devotion to the Holy Face, uh, which is a Carmelite devotion, as we've reminded our listeners many times. But, Father, I'd like you, if you would not mind, closing us in prayer. And again, thank you for taking this time, in addition to the weekend-long retreat, uh, to participate with us here on Radio Maria. We, We very much appreciate that. Dear Lord, we live in a world of much noise and much confusion, and we ask you for your peace, the peace the world cannot give. Give us the gift of silence, of interior silence, that silence which helps us to be present to you, to you in all things, and to one another. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. St. Teresa of Jesus, pray pray for us. St. John of the Cross, pray pray for us. St. Teresa, the child Jesus in the Holy Face, Pray Pray. for us. Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Pray Pray. for us. St. Joseph. Pray Pray. for us. And praise be Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Thank you, Father. And thank you again for joining us on Carmelite Conversations. We look forward to hearing from you and you joining us in our conversation again next week. God bless.